KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Staffing polling places on Election Day has always been a challenge. But right now, during the coronavirus pandemic, people are even more weary of spending an entire day volunteering to be around a line of people coming and going to the polls. On top of that, a lot of volunteers that work the polls in the U.S. are older, which means they're at higher risk for severe illness from the virus. So what is it going to look like for people who are going to vote in person in November? Dr. Stephen Pettigrew is the Director of Data Sciences for the Program on Opinion Research and Election Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. I have another affiliation there too, but that's kind of the main one. As well as a senior analyst for the NBC News Decision Desk and Analytics Lab. So we're the people who are deciding when to call races on election night. That's fun. And election day is getting closer and closer and it's going to be here before we know it. And mm-hmm. it's definitely clear that this year is a different ball game than any presidential election in my lifetime and probably anybody else's. I keep thinking about some of the issues from the primary election, specifically the in-person voting. Can you tell me what stood out to you the most the first go around in 2020 voting and what you're kind of paying attention to for November? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, one of the one of the huge challenges during the primaries was that the pandemic kind of hit right in the middle of when states were voting in the presidential primaries. And so, um, so yeah, so obviously, a lot of states had to kind of change the way they were doing things on the fly. Lots of different states pushed back their primaries a few weeks or a couple months just to kind of buy a little extra time to sort these things out. And, you know, every state kind of handled things a little bit differently. You know, for the I I would say kind of in most states, there was obviously a big move toward voting by mail. And in some states, that was just the fact that voters were requesting more ballots. Other states actually changed some of their rules for vote by mail to accommodate the pandemic. In many, if I would say most states, particularly in cities, there was a lot of precinct consolidation is one way to put it, but basically just fewer polling places to vote at, in part because they were expecting more people to vote by mail, but also because of a lot of challenges the pandemic has created about finding locations to use as polling places, as well as probably more importantly, having enough people to staff these polling places. So that's one of the big challenges during the primaries. And, you know, in in some ways, it's very fortunate that, uh, I mean, obviously, it's not fortunate that we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it's better that it hit when it did rather than, for example, it hitting in October in in a month or two, right before the presidential election. We at least, uh, election officials across the country have known for a while you know, they've been able to plan and they have a bit of a runway to figure this out. It's it's a massive challenge. But at least in that sense, they've had some time to figure it out. And and a lot of them had the experience of running a primary where obviously this it's in, primaries are very important, but it kind of is a lower turnout election where they can kind of feel things out and figure out what works and what, what they need to do better in November. I like how you said that. I think that's probably the most positive outlook I've heard. <laughs> saying well, that. That's probably as positive as you'll hear from me on this. That's okay. That's okay. Because <laughs> I think even right now that the election's getting closer, I think finding the right amount of poll workers is kind of the biggest problem. 
Can you break down what goes into staffing election sites, like finding people, getting them to work those long days, everything like that? So I guess one of the things that's unique about American elections, so most Americans think of a presidential election as kind of one election. And in some sense, it's it's a lot more than that. So obviously, with the Electoral College and just with all the federal and local races, there's, you know, 50 or 51 elections going on if you include D.C. But even more than that, from an administrative side, there's actually thousands of different elections being run. Because in the United States, for the most part, election administration is done at the local level. So in most states outside of New England, elections are run by counties. And so obviously the state has a lot of influence over you know, the way counties run things. But on the ground, when it comes to things like recruiting volunteers to work at polling places and staffing up, you know, precincts and getting the resources deployed and all of that, it all happens at the local level. And so before the pandemic, one of the big challenges, so actually there's there's some data on this. So in 2013 or so, 20, 2013, I think, in the early 2010s, President Obama had, he put together what's called the President's Commission on Election Administration. And it was essentially, I mean, it was a it was a presidential commission that brought together election officials, academics, people who work in this space to try and figure out what the big problems with and challenges there are with running American elections and making recommendations to fix them. And as a part of that, one of the big efforts that they worked on was doing a big survey of election officials, these thousands of people who run these county election boards, and just asking them questions about what do you think you do well, what is what are challenges to you, these sorts of just basic kind of questions about what their job is like. And by and large, one of the things that came out in that survey, and, and frankly, if you talk to these officials even today, one of the biggest challenges they face is recruiting poll workers. They they can never have enough people. And in particular, I mean, in, in some areas, they have particular issues. They want to recruit people who have t- pretty good technological proficiency, those sorts of things. And so in normal times, it's challenging to recruit poll workers. In a pandemic, it's even worse, right? Because everybody just has less desire to go out and interact with tons of strangers in close quarters. Poll workers tend to be older. And so, and older people are more susceptible to getting sick and, and, and the virus having a bigger effect on them. And so, so that's even more problematic if if, you know, a lot of these places, I'm sure, have rosters of people who they've used for years and years who have worked the polls. And, you know, I don't I don't have any hard evidence on this, but it would not surprise me if a lot of those rosters, they're contacting these people and a lot of these people are saying, I'm going to sit this one out. And so the consequence then is that it becomes much more difficult to staff up these polling places. I, I worked on some research back in the spring around when the pandemic hit, and we asked um, we asked Americans what they thought about what should be done to make this election safe and in the world of a pandemic. And one of the things that most Democrats, most Republicans, most independents, one thing they all said was a good idea was to actually have more polling places. And the idea there is that if you have more polling places, it's just easier to spread out, right? It's it's easier to, you have shorter lines, you have less time spent in the polling place, it's just safer. But the reality is, if you want more polling places, you need more poll workers. And there's there's no way that they're going to recruit more poll workers in 2020 than they have in previous years. And so, so that's just sort of a non-starter. In fact, what we're seeing is fewer polling places 
in part because of fewer workers, as well as, you know, some of the some of the facilities they've used as polling places just aren't available. Different buildings and whatnot where they, you know, aren't open to the public right now. And so they can't use those for polling places. So, so the, there's a lot of challenges with in-person voting in 2020. Yeah, definitely. And you hit very important things that I think stick out to me and that I had noted because even my polling place, it's all senior citizens. That's who is there every election day since I started voting. And um, I know a few of them sat the primary out and are most likely sitting the November election out too. I mean, how do you think we can attract younger people to work on election day? Do you know of any efforts going on to kind of change that demographic a little bit? There is research out there. I'm, I haven't brushed up on it recently. I know there is research, though, that looks at this specific question about what are sort of messaging messages you can use to try and convince people to be poll workers. And obviously, you know, all of this research was pre-pandemic and maybe all the findings, who knows what they, they find. But I mean, in general, getting people to participate in politics, one, one effective, a couple effective mechanisms are kind of appealing to people's civic mindedness. So when you try and encourage somebody to vote, it's it you know it doesn't hurt to to point out that like this is like a civic good and a responsibility of yours and and those sorts of appeals can also help to recruit people to volunteer and that sort of thing. I know there are efforts out there. I'm drawing a blank. I know there's one or maybe two kind of big national efforts out there to try and push people toward working at the polls. I'm a sports fan and I know I feel like I have actually heard LeBron James talk about one of these organizations in like a, a press conference or something like that. I think it was him. But um, in any case, I think there's an organization where their goal is to try and just in general get people to sign up to go work at the polls. But but more importantly, trying to get younger people who are less susceptible to the virus and uh, at least we think. And also, you know, getting younger people who, you know, they're just more comfortable with technology, that sort of thing. It's useful to have those sorts of people around when you're when you're running a precinct. And so um, those efforts are out there. And I'm certain that there is no, you know, election commissioner, election, local election official in the country who would turn down somebody who said, hey, like, I would be happy to be trained up and be a poll worker in November. They would love to have it. I'm, I'm certain of that. I, I can't imagine them turning anybody away. Yeah, I can. I can definitely imagine I mean, you know, speaking young people right now, I I feel like, well, I guess I'll ask you. I mean, do you think young people right now are any more or less politically aware or in touch with what's going on than generations before them? I mean, how do you think Generation Z is viewing civic responsibility or whatever, you know, gets people to work and maybe volunteer at the polls? I think it's a really good question. Um, I don't have a solid answer on it. So a couple of things I would say. I think my impression is that everybody thinks that their generation as young people were way more engaged than the younger generations are. But that said, like, you can kind of go through with any generation and look at, like, the sorts of, of moments that galvanize kind of political change, right? You think about like what went on in the 60s and those sorts of movements. There's analogies to, you know, what's going on now just, just in general with political activism of young people around issues like climate change and issues like 
gun violence and these sorts of things. In terms of, you know, galvanizing young people to be more sort of civic minded in terms of like volunteering and those sorts of things, I don't have any firm answers on that. But one thing that we did see in the midterms in 2018, just in terms of participation as voting and turnout. So usually, you know, you have ups and downs with presidential elections having higher turnout than midterms and just sort of an oscillation back and forth. One of the things you saw in 2018 across the board was just so much higher turnout among most groups than you would see in a typical midterm. And in fact, like turnout in 2018 was so high that it was almost as if it was a presidential election with low turnout, right? So normally in a presidential election, turnout is often in kind of the neighborhood of 60 or 65 percent. And in a midterm, it's it's usually in like the 40s or so. 2018, I, I haven't, it's been a while since I've looked at this specific data, but if I'm recalling correctly, in 2018, turnout was kind of in between that. It was like 50 or 55 percent. And in particular, what we saw was a huge increase in turnout among young people. And obviously, so so young people still turn out at lower rates than older folks. I mean, the, the, the group that turns out at the highest rate tends to be people over 65, right? And, and part of the story there, or, or not just over 65, maybe just older folks over 60 or 55 or whatever, wherever you want to draw the line. And part of the story there is like, those are the folks who they care a lot about Social Security and Medicare and, and these sorts of things. They have a lot that they're, they're counting on when they vote. We didn't see young people's turnout at that level in 2018. But if you compare the recent couple elections, young people's turnout, and you compare like people who are, say, 18 to 25, 18 to 30 in 2018, and you compare that same group to like, previous midterms and previous generations. So if you go back and say like, okay, well, baby boomers, they were 18 to 35 in like the mid 60s to mid 70s. If you look at midterm turnout among that group, when when baby boomers were, you know, young, turnout in 2018 among young people dwarfed any turnout that, that, that we had seen in these previous elections among young people. It's just young people always turn out at lower rates, but in 2018, the turnout was so much higher among young people than it really ever has been. I guess that was sort of a very roundabout way of, of saying, like, I think every generation, and there's reason to see, like, hope that there's a lot of engagement among young people. But I think particularly right now, my assessment of it is that it's largely that, like, there are these issues that are that young people really see as directly impacting them, like guns and, like, climate change, that are galvanizing them in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. I don't necessarily see that as like a mechanism for getting them to be poll workers and that sort of thing to address those issues. But turnout in 2020, I mean, it's it's hard to project what's going to happen in a pandemic world. I would say if, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I would have said no questions asked. The turnout in 2020 was going to be astronomical. Now, I would say it could be even more astronomical, maybe, because maybe mail-in voting will cause people to participate at higher rates, or it could be the exact opposite. I still think it's going to be higher than usual. Maybe it won't be at that astronomical level, just because people won't want to navigate the the vote-by-mail kind of system in their state, or they won't feel comfortable voting in person. So it's harder to say. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think, where we are on on that with with how all that fits together. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like how you compare like the younger demographics when that generation yeah. was that age. I, I've never heard that before. But yeah. uh, you mentioned mail-in voting, and that kind of leads to, I think, what another issue is this year. I mean, absentee voting is probably going to set records this year because of yeah the pandemic and different laws and everything like that. But We've heard some politicians, including the president, say voting by mail leads to ballot fraud. What's the reasoning behind people saying fraud and different things with mail-in voting? So the short answer is that it's one of the safest ways to vote. This is, you know, just the idea of voter fraud in general, the idea of voter impersonation in general, is one that people have looked at, researchers have looked at, for a long time. And there's just virtually no evidence of any sort of, you don't even have to say widespread voter fraud, even just minimal amounts of it are very hard to see. So there just isn't a lot to those, those sorts of claims. It is the case that in 2020 in particular, the Postal Service has been raising some concerns about the need for people to request their ballot early and send it back early. They're sort of towing an interesting line right now because The Postal Service, I think last week or a few days ago, they tweeted out that if every single American voted by mail, right, including like young people, if if, if all 330 million Americans voted by mail, that would be, I, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like the volume isn't a profound amount of volume for them. But at the same time, they're they're putting the message out there that there's no reason to dilly-dally on sending your ballot back, right? So if you, if you plan to vote by mail, request your ballot. I mean, in Pennsylvania, I'm fairly certain you can request it now. If you voted in the primaries by mail, I, there was actually, I think, a box you could check to say I wanted a general election ballot. So I don't know the exact date because I, I did that. And so I'm expecting a ballot that way. But, but I think you, you can request your ballot now. And the recommendation that kind of election workers, the Postal Service, what people are suggesting is fill out your ballot when you get it and drop it right back in the mail or drop it off at a Dropbox. You know, in the primaries, there were Dropboxes put up all around the state. And so that essentially like, you know, I live near Center City, Philadelphia, and they had a Dropbox next to City Hall and the vote counting happens right there. And so um, that kind of gave me the peace of mind. It didn't need that extra step of the Postal Service taking it and going through its sorting system and delivering it. I was essentially hand delivering it right to the election officials right there. And so they're able to to take that and process it right away. So that's sort of, that's the challenge right now is just having people understand the most effective ways to get their ballot processed and make sure that it gets counted. Because it, it doesn't make anybody confident in the system if a lot of ballots that people thought they were casting on time turned out to have arrived too late or that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, important to note that so many people are going to know how to do mail-in voting now mm-hmm. when this is all even over. And I guess yeah. as a last question, do you think the future of polling places will change for good after this and in what way? I mean, could we see absentee voting, you know, here for the long haul or do you think the issue is too politicized and we'll see things go back to normal? It's hard to know. I think 
trying to see anything on the other side of the veil of the pandemic is is hard to kind of determine what the world is going to look like. So, so there's a few things to say there. So already a bunch of states that entirely vote by mail. So Oregon, Washington, in, in 2020, for the first time, Utah and Hawaii, I think Alaska, most of Californians vote by mail. Most people in Arizona vote by mail. So there's a lot of West Coast states where this is already the norm. Oregon's been doing it since about the 2002 election or so, where everybody just votes by mail. There's a lot of discussion in kind of election circles, people people who think a lot about this and live in this world all the time, about whether that's a model that like more states are going to adopt. So one of the advantages to that sort of system in normal times is that it's actually cheaper to run elections. Even if you include the cost of mailing a ballot to every voter, it's actually cheaper to run elections in rural areas when you can just mail everybody a ballot. And so like in California, you know, California has like tens of millions of people, but, and we tend to think of California as like LA and San Francisco, but a lot of the physical land in California is incredibly sparsely populated, kind of, you know, Northern California, Northeastern California. It's some of the most sparsely populated parts of the country. And so very early on, California said, hey, if you're one of these counties, you can just run everything by mail. And so you see that in a lot of other West Coast states where there are, maybe there's a big city, but then a lot of the state is very sparsely populated and they've gone to this approach. In a place like Pennsylvania or, you know, New Jersey, New York, those sorts of places where there's certainly rural areas, but they aren't quite as remote as, you know, some of these places out West. I don't know exactly what the cost benefit of it would be, but my inclination is that we'll probably see a bit of an uptick on people continuing to vote by mail going forward. But there is something, I think for a lot of people, there's sort of something about the experience of going to vote and and sort of the civic satisfaction you get out of it. I mean, in my life, I voted in person a bunch of times and I voted by mail a handful of times. And it's not as exciting. You don't feel that sense of like civic accomplishment when you vote by mail as when you walk out of the polling place and you get that sticker and and you feel like you've accomplished something. And these are sort of fuzzy ideas, but but I think that's a meaningful thing, right? It's important for people to feel like they're part of this democracy. And so my suspicion is that we're probably going to see, in probably most states, we're going to see more than half of people voting by mail this time around. I don't think, you know, assuming in 2022, 2024, when we're out of this pandemic world, I hope, um, I pray. Um, I don't think we're going to see, we're going to continue to see those levels of vote by mail. But my guess is maybe there will be a bit of an upshift in the number of people who just continue to vote by mail, just because it's the sort of thing, once people become familiar with how it works, it becomes an easier system to navigate. That's, I mean, that's true in a lot of aspects of human life. But, um, but, but with voting in particular, you do what you're familiar with. And, and a lot of people are becoming familiar with voting by mail. And so it'll, it'll become an option to a lot of them going forward. They won't necessarily feel like they have to go vote on election day if maybe it's going to be more convenient for them to vote by mail. So they don't have to worry about it on election day or, or whenever else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely right. But 
I'm like you. I can't wait for my sticker next year or whenever. Yeah. Well, it's, you know what, what was disappointing to me in Pennsylvania. So I lived in Georgia when I was growing up and for my first few elections, I was a voter there. And I know in at least one of them, I voted by mail. And one of the really, I think really smart things that they did was when they sent you your ballot to fill out, they included the the I voted sticker in there. They kind of assumed that you were going to send it back and, and they gave you the sticker. And I thought that was kind of great. And I wish more states would do that. I don't know if other, if there are any other states that do that, but I kind of love that. And I'm, I'm hoping because I know, I know the city of Philadelphia, they did like a redesign of their I voted sticker. I, at least they were working on it before the pandemic. I don't know if, if they've kind of haven't been worrying about that right now, but they did like kind of a Philly centric redesign of the I voted sticker. It's probably not at all on their priority list, but I would love to get one when I get my ballot in the mail. I'm not going to count on it being in there, but like those sorts of things are nice, right? Like you, you feel a sense of accomplishment when you can wear that sticker around on election day and you feel like you did something. So, so I agree with you. Hey, you got my wheels turning. I'm going to see if I can find out what happened to those stickers. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, well, Stephen, thank you so much for talking with me today and coming on the podcast. Of course, yeah, I'm happy to chat. Feel free to reach out if you want to chat more as we get closer to the election. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.